0: three this morning, second Timothy chapter three, as we continue our series in the book of second Timothy. And just a reminder as we travel through this book, that Paul wrote this to a young Timothy to encourage him to sort of hang in there and not give up and not faint that Timothy was dealing with a lot of different stuff in his life. And so Paul wants to strengthen him. He wants to comfort him. He wants to encourage him. And Paul realizes that he's about at the end of the finish line, that he even says, I competed well, I finished the race, I kept the faith. And he knows that he's about ready to give up his life and to go into eternity so you can imagine, he, he's about ready to cross the finish line. And so he's like encouraging Tim, Timothy, hang in there. You know, just here, here's what I found was, was what I needed in my life in order to finish well. And again, let's go back to and remember that Paul didn't start off his life very well. He was Saul, the great persecutor of the church. And this is also, this book, a great encouragement to all of us. And it may not be that we started off very well. But it's more important that we finish well. And Second Timothy certainly is a book that if we familiarize ourselves with that, it's going to help us to finish our race, our Christian life, our life well. And this week, I just want to preface this message with, with this point. This passage, though it may at first glance seem awful discouraging, don't take it that way. Because even though in this passage, Paul is going to lay out for Timothy sort of the the spirit of the age of the end times and how challenging that is. And how we as Christians could even get caught up in, oh my goodness, you know, that's that's pretty discouraging. That's pretty depressing that I think God wants to use it in all of our lives. And I think this was true of Paul for Timothy, that God wants to use it in our lives to inspire us to motivate us, to stir us, to, to rise to the challenges that we face today, rather than allowing the world in which we live to run over us or for us to shrink back from it in any way. And I'm a firm believer that God fits us to the times in which we live. Just like Mordecai told Esther, Perhaps Esther, you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And I believe that one of the reasons why you and I are living in the day and age in which we live is because God has confidence in us that through his power, we can rise above the unique challenges that this world will bring. And we can be an effective witness for Jesus Christ. And we can live a very Uh, effective Christian life, and we can make a great impact in this world, regardless of what the world is doing in the direction that the world is going. So I hope today, again, that as we go down through this passage, that none of you will be discouraged, but more importantly, that God's Spirit will again inspire and motivate and stir your hearts to go, you know what? I need to step it up. I need to rise to the challenges in which I live. Notice in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, that first of all, Paul wants Timothy and believers from henceforth to, to truly be comprehending, recognizing, grasping the times in which we live. He says, But understand this that in the last days difficult times will come. The word understand means. Grasp it, acknowledge it, comprehend it, realize it, recognize the times in which we live. And so, we as Christians living in 2013, do we really understand the season in which we live, the times in which we live? And do we understand the unique challenges that we face as Christians today that no other Christians have ever faced? up until this time i mean paul even tells timothy difficult days will come they will literally settle in and in a sense they're not going anywhere they're going to be a permanent fixture of what the world looks like you could also interpret the word difficult as hard hard times are coming now again what paul's going to say in this passage is this He's going to lay out why the days are difficult, why the times in which we live are hard. And I think, hopefully, once we go through this passage, it'll be pretty self-evident that we all probably can agree on everything that Paul has said. And we can see how, even in our lifetime, things have gotten more progressively, say, difficult and hard, especially for a Christian that truly wants to live for Christ and put Christ first in their life. But again, make no mistake about it, that in the backdrop of all of that, that Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, you and I don't have to be bound by the spirit of the times in which we live. That's the glorious truth, that the spirit of, of this age, if you will, the spirit of these times is not more powerful than the power of Jesus Christ. And we've already learned in Second Timothy 2, 1, where Paul said, So therefore, my child, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And he's already talked to us about how we need to be strong in order to rise to the challenges that we face. We're going to talk more about that at the very end of the message. So the first thing that Paul, I think, reminds us of here then is in why the days are difficult is because there's going to be an increasing lack of character amongst people. In other words, Paul would probably say it this way. One of the reasons why the days are so difficult is because people are going to become more difficult. They just are. Which means all the more reason why then we need to make sure that we have our act together, if you will, spiritually speaking. Notice a description of the lack of character in the last days. Verse two. For people will be lovers of themselves, ultimately, selfish, self-centered, narcissistic. And Paul is saying that's actually where it all begins and all starts. Because when people are more self-focused than they are obviously God-focused or others-focused, that begins to sort of put down dominoes that have far-reaching effects to everyone around us. And we certainly see that today. A growing narcissism, a growing self-centeredness, a growing selfishness. Then he says, lovers of money, literally prosperity seekers, people who seek to be prosperous as far as this world is concerned, rather than having any focus at all on the world or eternity to come. As Jesus says, my followers should be laying up treasure in heaven. Not primarily focused on hoarding and gathering and, and, you know, just seeking more and more of what this world, which none of us can take with us, which is only going to wear out anyway and lose, you know, whatever is in at the time. And so he says they're also going to be increasingly prosperity seekers, boastful, we could say braggarts, arrogant. The word in the Greek literally means to look down on. In other words, more and more people have such an elevated opinion of themselves that everywhere they move in life, they're putting themselves up here and they're literally looking down on everyone else. Blasphemers. We could say verbally abusive. Disobedient to parents. In other words, children will grow increasingly obstinate and stubborn in listening and obeying their parents. Ungrateful, we could say thankless or unappreciative. Unholy, without respect for God. Unloving, literally in the Greek it means heartless. We see that today, we're like, man. It's just like, how could they do what they do or say what they say? Well, in the last days, one of the reasons why things get more difficult is people will literally be heartless, irreconcilable, uncompromising, not able to come to any kind of agreement to keep relationships together. Rather, they walk away from relationships. Relationships today are disposable. More than ever before. I usually don't do this. But if you didn't happen to be at Bible study on this past Tuesday night, I would encourage you to go out there and listen to the podcast of that Tuesday night Bible study. It's all about how relationships aren't as meaningful as they used to be and what we as Christians need to do to improve our own personal friendships and relationships and some of it goes back to just being uncompromising slanderers in the greek the word is diabolos where we literally get the word devil from and so paul's using a very strong word here to describe slanderers because the word devil diabolos literally means to divide to come between that's what the devil's Modus operandi is. He wants to come between you and God. He wants to come between you and others. And he will use slander to do it. He is the father of lies and the father of slander. And he uses slander to destroy relationships and to divide people. Without self-control is the next one. Literally, no strength. That's important because we're talking about being strong. No strength to say no to anything no strength. It takes a strong person to say yes to certain things, but also to say no to certain things. And Paul says there will be a growing number of people that have no strength to say no. Savage, the word means cruel, ruthless, opposed to what is good, literally hating and hostile to what is good. Treacherous, traitors, betrayers reckless. The word means thoughtless, without consideration. Sometimes I'm watching the news or I'm watching television, and the first thought that comes into my mind is, that person didn't think before they did that. Or they didn't think at all before they said that. And the Bible says, well, guess what? That's part of the sign of our time. People will have less and less consideration or thought about what they're doing or what they're saying before they do it. Then he goes on to say conceited. The word literally means puffed up. And then he says loving pleasure rather than loving God. Loving pleasure, self-absorbed, self-gratifying, rather than giving God his rightful place. So in the first four verses of 2 Timothy 3, Paul's laying out sort of a character study of the last days. And he's telling Timothy, Timothy, this is why you need to be strong. This is why you need to rise to the occasion. This is why you can't play games with your Christian life. This is why if you want to finish well and be effective for Christ and be an effective witness, you got to mean business and be committed and be devoted to the Lord Jesus because difficult times are coming. And what that means primarily is an increasing lack of character and difficult people to deal with. And unless we as Christians are in a good place with God and we are strong, then the people around us and the increasing lack of character is literally going to swallow us up rather than us being able to deal with it and rise above it. The second characteristic of the spirit of the times is found in verse five. They will maintain the outward appearance of religion or true worship of God, but will have repudiated its power. In other words, they will be in a perpetual, permanent state of denial of lacking, overcoming spiritual power in their life. And so the second primary characteristic, besides an increasing lack of character, is a growing number of spiritual counterfeits. That's what Paul's talking about in verse five, a growing number of spiritual counterfeits. In other words, people who, again, profess to know God, profess to love God, you know, will even try to outwardly masquerade and pretend as if they are religious and spiritual. But if you get to any depth at all, if you go below the surface at all, There's nothing there. There's no real spiritual overcoming power in their life. There's no real fruit of the Spirit. There's no evidence. It's all a masquerade. It's all pretend. It's all counterfeit. It's they're trying to portray something outwardly so that they can fool other people. But Paul says, in reality, there's nothing there. It's hollow. And Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, this is the times in which people are going to be living. And all the more reason then again, why as Christians, we need to make sure that we maintain our spiritual strength because it's out of our position of strength that, that our discernment grows and where our perception grows and where our insight comes from. And that's then the, the vehicle, the tools that God gives us to be able to know what's real and what's false and what's counterfeit and what's not. Even in what we hear, going back to last Sunday's message, about it's not just about having a relationship with the Bible, but Paul said, we've got to make sure that we're correct in our interpretation. And that we're handling the word of God correctly. Because if we're not, then we end up blowing up our lives and everyone else's life around us. It's just not a matter of, I read my Bible, I study my Bible. It's a matter of, I better make sure that I'm getting it correct. Because if I don't, I'm going to undermine my own spiritual life. And I'm going to undermine the lives of others that I touch. So that's why Paul's saying, we've got to be aware not only of the increasing lack of character all around us, the growing number of difficult people that means we've got to be just the opposite and we've got to rise above that because the church needs good examples of what we should be rather than all the growing examples of what we shouldn't be in this world. But we also need to grow in our discernment and perception and insight. Because there's a growing number of spiritual counterfeit. Again, let me read what Paul said. They will maintain the outward appearance of religion. They will do what it takes to appear religious or true worshipers of God on the outside. But inside, there's nothing. There's no reality. There's no relationship. There's no real spiritual power. God really isn't making a difference in their everyday life and choices that they make. Which also, can I just say, implies the fact that they know what they need to do outwardly in order to appear religious. See, Paul's not writing this to Timothy and talking about unbelievers. Paul wrote this to a pastor of a church to teach to the church. So let's not miss that. Paul's saying that there's going to be an increasing number of difficult people who lack character within the church. And there's going to be a growing number of spiritual counterfeits within the church, which, again, is all the more reason why we need to make sure that we are maintaining a great relationship with Christ and staying spiritually strong. Next, verse six. Before I dive into these next two verses, I want to preface it because this is primarily to ladies, men, yours is coming. Let me just say that. So gals, don't. Because gals, when they come to this, these couple verses, it's almost like they think, Paul's picking on us gals. He's saying some things that aren't very flattering. Let me say this. Paul certainly is talking in general terms here. But again, Paul is saying, this is inspired and breathed by God. And God is saying to, and he's going to get to men in a minute, gals, there are some things that because you are gals, that you're more susceptible to and struggle with. And guys, there are some things that you are susceptible to and struggle with. And so he primarily wants to zero in on gals And he wants to say something to them. But the principle is true whether we are men or women. Because the third primary uh, spirit or character of the age is a growing lack of spiritual stability and settledness. A growing lack of spiritual stability and settledness. Listen to what Paul says for some of these insinuate themselves into households and captivate weak women. There's a key, the word weak. We've talked about how important it is to be strong gals. And he's saying these weak gals are obviously more vulnerable and more susceptible. Women who are overwhelmed, desperate, Women who are led along by various passions, the words mean impulsive. And going back to the words weak, it means gullible. So in a sense, Paul's saying, be careful, gals. Don't be gullible. Don't be desperate. And don't be impulsive. Here's why. Such women, verse 7, are always seeking instruction. Always learning. Always gaining knowledge yet never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Those words speak about really never being able to be settled or spiritually stable. So listen, gals and guys, to what Paul's saying. One of the reasons why the days are difficult is not because there won't be an increase of knowledge or wanting to learn or grow. And let me say this in a real positive way. Our church is no different than most churches out there. If we didn't have women doing what women have always done down through the history of the church, church wouldn't exist. I thank God for the women of our church and all that you do. Make no mistake about it. Paul does too. But what Paul is saying is this. By the very way that many women, not all, are wired they're wired to soak things up and learn and grow and increase in all this. But Paul is just simply saying, especially specifically to women, be careful that in all your spiritual activity, which unlike guys, women are very spiritually active usually, that your, all your spiritual activity is leading to the right result and the right conclusion which is that there is a settledness in your life, that there is a spiritual stability in your life, that you are truly coming to a point with all your spiritual activity where you're learning to rest in Jesus, rather than just continuing to go out there and go to this Bible study and that Bible study and read that book and read that and soak that up. But you never really get to a point where you're settled and where you're at rest. And if you are going to then learn more and grow more, it's not to somehow get something into your life to complete you in any way, because you're already complete in Jesus Christ. It's simply to add on to more rest and more settledness and more spiritual stability. That's all Paul's saying here, gal. He's not being anti-gal, anti-woman at all. He's simply saying, gals, be careful. We need you. We couldn't exist as a church without you. But because of who you are, there's no doubt. Women usually are more spiritually active than men. And all Paul's saying is, be careful that with all that you're involved with, all your spiritual activity, that it's landing you in the right place. Because there are many gals out there that, man, they're serving and they're ministering more than maybe guys and a lot of other people, but they're restless. They're full of angst and anxiety, and and they never get to a point where they come and settle down to the knowledge that the truth is supposed to bring, which is a stability, a calmness, a composure, a rest in Jesus Christ. Now, you're going to say, I didn't see anything about men in that path. Yeah, but it's an argument from silence, which is even more powerful. Because notice what Paul says in verse 6. Some of these insinuate themselves into households the implication is this that the women that he's talking about in the church many of them not all of them many of them had husbands now i want to say this though i'm primarily for the next few minutes talking to gals and guys especially guys now that are married and have that responsibility of being the spiritual leader, make no mistake about it, these principles can apply to single gals and single guys as well. Which is all the more reason why the church needs to be the church, because even for singles, they need to come to a place and have a church family where they can see examples of godly men and godly women, and where they can have, even as a single woman, Spiritual leaders in their life that they can follow and look to. And the same thing with spiritual gals. They need to have that. We all need that. Whether we're single or married. But the point that Paul's making is this. One of the reasons why maybe these gals never were settled and never were at rest was because it also goes back to the deficiency and lack of leadership amongst men in their home and in their church. And Paul simply saying, guys, God calls us to be the spiritual leaders. Where are we? Why are we as men not stepping up and being the spiritual leaders that God calls us to be, and gives us responsibility to be. Because we just can't look and say, well, you know, the gals, they're, they're, they're lacking So are we. If we're not being the leaders, spiritually, that God wants us to be. And this is not a new problem. It's just increasing. In fact, keep your finger there in 2 Timothy. i got a couple minutes. Go back to the book of Genesis all the way back to the book of Genesis. This traces all the way back to Adam. In Genesis chapter 3, it's the passage about the fall, where the serpent is tempting Eve, and Eve always gets sort of the bad rap. You know, Eve, oh my goodness, she was deceived, and she should have never been talking to the serpent to begin with, and, and she was, you know, gullible, and... And, and she was impulsive and, and maybe a little bit desperate and always wanting to learn, but obviously hadn't come to a point where even in the garden she was settled yet. And many people think that somehow in their minds, when the serpent is tempting Eve, like he's drawn her away somewhere. And it's just the serpent and, and Eve. And Adam must be like miles away. That's not what the Bible said. Notice in verse four, I'll pick it up there. The serpent said to the woman, surely you will not die for God knows that when you eat from your, it, your eyes will open. You will be like divine beings who know good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was produced fruit that was good for food, was attractive to the eye and was desirable for making one wise, she took some of its fruit and ate it and don't miss this next phrase. She also gave some of it to her husband who was with her. The whole time the serpent was tempting Eve. There was Adam. Uh, Not saying a word. See, if Adam would have been the spiritual leader that he should have been and could have been, As soon as the serpent started to talk and as soon as he started to see what direction that conversation was going, he should have stepped in and said, whoa, serpent, you are out of here. Eve, come on, let's get out of here. That would have been the spiritual leadership thing to do. He just stood there and did nothing and said nothing. I know you went like, yeah, (laughs) preach it, Pastor Jeff. By the way, it is it is from this passage that I actually do a whole talk on why men don't talk. <laughs> because some of you are like, they don't communicate. Well, guess what? I'm not blaming Adam. We're not absolved of our responsibility. But all I can tell you is, gals and guys, it traces back to our head, Adam. We have to be spiritual leaders. And Paul is saying, Timothy, one of the reasons why things get more difficult in this world is because gals are very spiritually active. But is all their activity really landing them where they need? And second of all, one of the other things I see is a growing lack of male leadership. Now, let me say this. I not only thank God for all the gals in our church, but I thank God for the male leadership we have at this church. In fact, we've got like 30 guys out right now at a retreat who I think are trying to do that to be better leaders in some way. And all of you guys, we couldn't exist without the male leadership and you men stepping up and being who God's called you to be. So thank you. But what Paul is simply saying is, for the most part, generally speaking, this is why the challenge of the times in which we live becomes even more challenging. Finally, verse 8 and 9. The final piece, a growing resistance and opposition to authority and truth. A growing opposition and resistance to authority and truth. Paul uses two of Pharaoh's magicians from the book of Exodus, named Jonas and Jambres, and he says, and just as Jonas and Jambres opposed Moses, stood against, resisted Moses and his leadership and authority that he had under God, he goes on to say, so these people, who have warped, corrupted, confused minds and are disqualified in the faith, literally meaning they've been proven to be counterfeit, also oppose the truth, literally standing against, resisting the truth. But notice what Paul says to Timothy and to us. They will not go much further. In other words, they will not make progress indefinitely. There will come a time where God will intervene, And he goes on to say, for their foolishness, their masquerade, their counterfeit, will eventually be obvious or clearly evident to everyone, just like it was with Jonas and Jambra. And if you go back to Exodus, and you know the story of Moses, that for a while the magicians and sorcerers of Egypt were able to counterfeit the miracles that God was doing through Moses and Aaron, but there came a point where they went to Pharaoh and said, we got nothing. We can't duplicate that. And so what God did was eventually get it to the point where it didn't matter what evil, spiritual, satanic power was working behind the magicians and sorcerers of Egypt, that God proved himself the almighty God, and that there was a limit to even satanic power that no one can share with God which would expose that the magicians had limits. And Paul simply saying to all those spiritual counterfeits who will grow in their opposition and resistance to God's authority and to the authorities that he places into our lives and a resistance to truth, God is only going to let that go so far. And just like with the magicians of Egypt, he's going to step in and put an end to it. So in this passage, Paul's saying, folks, Timothy, you gotta be strong. Cause here's what we're dealing with. And yet we've come to this kingdom, if you will, for such a time as this. And God doesn't want what we've read and looked at in the first eight, nine verses of 2 Timothy 3, again, to in any way discourage us. But just to remind us, we got challenges. We are living. In difficult, hard times. And they're not ever going to turn around and get easy. They have settled in. And they will be here until Jesus comes. An increasing lack of character. A growing number of spiritual counterfeits. A lack of stability and settledness. A lack of leadership. And a growing resistance and opposition to authority, and to truth. But here's the key. I want you to go back up to verse 1, to that word difficult. We're going to end with this. Here's the challenge for us. The word difficult in the Greek language can be interpreted as hard, but it is also the Greek word chalepos, which literally means a reducing of strength. Hang in there with me. See where this is going. The word "chalepos" comes from the Greek word chalau, which means to slack, to relax, or to sort of let off, to let down. And so don't miss what Paul is saying to us. Yes, one of the reasons why the days are difficult Is because of all these outward factors and circumstances externally that's going to press against us. But the main reason why these days are difficult is because there's going to be an increasing weakness and fragility within the church, within Christians, that even make the extra challenges even more daunting and difficult. Because instead of being committed Christians, devoted, putting God first in our life, we are living in a day and age where Christians are letting down, slacking in their Christian faith, relaxing, and because of that spiritual malaise that you will that's settled in amongst the church, it is making Christians weaker and weaker and weaker, and it's reducing our strength as a church and as God's people. And because of that, That's another big reason why the days are more difficult, not just because the outward environment and circumstances are growing in difficulty, but because we're not as strong as we should be. Now, listen, we obviously can't do anything about the external circumstances. They're out of our control. But the one thing you and I can always control. Is where we are spiritually. We can control how spiritually strong we are or we are becoming. We don't have to slack. We don't have to let things go. We can do what it takes to build up our spiritual strength. So in light of this today. Here's the challenge I'd like to leave with you. Not to overwhelm any of us, but just to make it real simple. What is one thing, one thing that right now you could do in your Christian life or that you could add to your Christian life that would enhance your spiritual strength? That would make you stronger, that would build up that spiritual strength and stamina that God wants to give. Just one thing. And ask God to lead you in that direction, even this week, so that in spite of what your week to come may look like and all the difficult people and pressures and things that you've got to deal with. You'll rise above it. And you will continue to remind yourself, God put me here at this time in history. He fit me for these times. And that means he knows that with him, I can rise above whatever this world is going to bring. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you for not only saving us, but for being, Lord, the provider of all the strength that any of us will ever need to navigate life and finish well. No matter how difficult the people are around us to deal with, no matter how much they lack in character, no matter how many spiritual counterfeits we may come in contact with, no no, no matter how much Unsettledness and restlessness and lack of spiritual stability is all around us. No matter how lacking of leadership is around us. No matter how much of a growing resistance and opposition to your truth and to authority. God, we don't have to be bound by the spirit of our times. That's the glorious truth. That the power of this age is never stronger than the power of Jesus Christ. Make us strong, Lord, in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.